Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hartz, and today we are going through every Week 13 game, ladies and mostly gentlemen, and I have a very special guest to do so, and that is my friend, my partner in crime. I, that sounds so weird to say, but my co-worker, we'll go with that. Andrew Erickson, you see him here every other week. Also, you can catch Andrew and myself on SiriusXM Radio. I host a 5 to 7 p.m. show every Saturday. Andrew is on 7 to 9 on Sunday. Andrew, happy Week 13, man. Yeah, man. I know, like you said, you know, in that intro, you're kind of introducing me. It's like, you know, you want to say, you know, I'm the, the Robin to your Batman. But in this case, you know, we are both Batman. So I, I'm hyped up, man. Week 13, it's going to be a good one. It's a warm 60 degree day here in New England. So I am hyped up and I'm ready because we got we got triple header on Monday night. Let's go. Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt situation here coming at you for sure. Want to go through every <laughs> single one of these games. And look, we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon, so plenty of time to still fo- more fo- fully form our opinions and stuff. But wanted to at least go through the matchup, try to give you guys you know, a good 45, 60 seconds on something interesting we see on each uh, sideline and then move on. So without further ado, let's get after it, everybody. First matchup on the docket, we got the Saints at the Falcons. New Orleans sitting as three-and-a-half-point favorites. Over-under has dropped a little bit from 47-and-a-half to 46. So, you know, I've talked about this on a couple podcasts now, but it's worth, you know, hammering home because Alvin Kamara has not been the same guy with Taysom Hill in the lineup. And it's alarming, man, because Kamara is truly someone that he's not— he hasn't been one of the best fantasy backs because of his rushing efficiency. He's a great running back, you know, and what he does on the ground and everything, but it's truly the receiving upside. It's the fact that in fantasy football, we get a full point per reception. And even if that doesn't, you know, accurately, accurately reflect what, you know, the truly best players are doing out there, like, come on, why is one just pop pass worth the same amount as someone actually rushing the ball 10 yards downfield? It shouldn't be. It is. And we have to adjust to that in fantasy football, just like when we were playing Taysom Hill at tight end a few weeks ago, you know, just because the rules don't always make sense doesn't mean we can't continue to take advantage of them we're just not getting that opportunity now one catch for negative two yards over the past two weeks with Taysom Hill under center this is unacceptable man and you know it is concerning and I think it is cause to move Kamara down in the RB1 ranks no he's not exiting the top 12 no he's never going anywhere near your fantasy bench but if your league doesn't have a trade deadline man I would strongly consider trying to sell somewhat high on Kamara still you look back at his entire career and and if I went through this I looked at all running backs purely rushing production and purely receiving production to see where Kamara was ranking. In 2017, he was 16th in rushing. He was first in receiving. In 2018, that was the wild touchdown year. Fifth in rushing, fourth in receiving. 2019, 22nd in rushing, fifth in receiving. And this year, he's eighth in rushing and first in receiving. So truly, you take away the receiving part and what we have is more of a borderline RB1 to a top 10 option. So still good. Not quite the same guy we thought we had that was literally flirting with breaking Christian McCaffrey's uh, 2019 mark that he was just going uh, wild with last year. So madness, it's sucks you're firing up Taysom Hill because you know Sean Payton wants to feed those two-yard goal line touchdowns that anyone could get they're giving those to Taysom so even if the passing stuff isn't there it's a high enough rushing floor just sucks you aren't getting more out of Kamara so Latavius Murray you know he's someone that's still kind of in that flex zone I know he's been getting a little more run over the past two weeks just realized we've had some awfully positive game script and at some point they're going to find a team that gets him a little bit out of that not sure if it's going to be the Falcons but either way you know just realize Murray not quite in that you know every week starter situation just yet Andrew, what's going on with Matt Ryan and hopefully a Falcons team that could get Julio Jones back, but we'll see. Yeah, hopefully they get Julio Jones back so we can see some more, you know, explosion from the New Orleans Saints. Maybe we make Taysom Hill throw the ball a little bit more instead of, you know, basically be able to kind of do whatever they want. You know, last week they didn't really have to push the envelope that often. But, you know, just one quick note on Kamara. I remember you tweeting out, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, that Kamara was on pace to basically kind of smash his 
normal 81 receiving yards. And it's like Taysom Hill is doing whatever he can to make sure that it's 81 receiving or 81 receptions for the fourth straight year. We're 13 away. And at this rate, you know, Taysom Hill is actually going to get the under on the 81 receive or receptions for Alvin Kamara. But Let's go with these Falcons. Again, Matt Ryan, we got a five-game sample size so far this season without a healthy Julio Jones. And in those games, it's been 10 fantasy points per game for Matt Ryan. The other six, 23.7 fantasy points. So, I mean, it's not even just for their offense. It's just the whole game flow just absolutely just tanks. You know, if Julio Jones had played in the Falcons-Raiders game, Derek Carr maybe would have played better. Just it would have been much more of an offensive type of scenario in terms of game script. So, we want Julio Jones to play for fantasy football because we're just going to see more fantasy points scored in this game if that happens. But even so, again, it's still a tough matchup for Matt Ryan. The New Orleans Saints have kind of hit their stride on defense. They've allowed zero quarterbacks to throw for at least three touchdowns since week five. And during weeks eight through ten, again, I'm going to throw out, again, last week's Hinton game because it doesn't really count. But the weeks before that, no fewest fantasy points allowed to the quarterback position per game. So that's not including Denver because that, those numbers are obviously going to be heavily inflated towards their defense, but they own PFF's number one ranked run defense this year. So even if Todd Gurley makes his return to the lineup, don't feel great about starting him. Don't want to start Edo Smith. Don't want to start Brian Hill. So I'm kind of out on a lot of these Falcons guys, especially if Julio Jones doesn't come back again, Matt Ryan would probably be a low end QB one with Julio back in the lineup, but the matchup isn't great. The only guy I really like on the Falcons, maybe for DFS, is Hayden Hurst. Again, he tied a season-high eight targets last week, and his production's actually been better when Julio Jones has been in the lineup again with the offense just playing much better. Hayden Hurst has really benefited from that. And New Orleans has faced the third most targets and the most end zone targets to the tight end position so far this season. And the one completion they gave up last week to Kendall Hinton was a 13-yard pass to Noah Fant, so... I mean, if that's not telling you that's going to be a breakout game for Hayden Hurst, Dan, I don't know what to tell you. I think that's pretty fair. Hurst, you know, kind of top 10, top 12 option at the tight end position. Calvin Ridley, it's always Calvin Ridley week. Other than that, with Julio Jones' sideline, really tough to get behind any of these other guys, particularly against the Saints defense that, as you mentioned, really rounding in the form as of late when they're facing real quarterbacks too, not just, you know, training camp wide receivers, <laughs> scout team wide receivers that play quarterback back in the day. Next matchup, a doozy here. Bengals at the Dolphins. Got the Dolphins sitting as 10.5 point favorites, 42.5 point game total. Andrew, I think you could double the spread and I would still, you know, gun to my head, probably take the Dolphins. I think the Bengals with Brandon Allen or Ryan Finley under center are the worst team in the National Football League right now. Not that it shouldn't be that big of a fire take because this was the case last year when they didn't have Joe Burrow. They were the worst team in the National Football League, and I think we're seeing that again now that Burrow is sidelined. I mean, I understand they only lost the Giants 19 to 17, but you know, I, I hope that people didn't watch that game because it was a waste of you know three and a half hours on your just overall intelligence and you know trying to go out and have a good time in your life. It did not help either of those things because look, the Bengals they had a kick return for touchdown they did absolutely nothing on offense until the Giants got up multiple scores in the fourth and noticeably went to a prevent defense okay they got on the field then they find a score why were they in a position at the end of the game to actually get a field goal Andrew it was because the Giants picked up the game clinching first down they got called back on a penalty and they punt it and then freaking Erickson takes a punt back to the 50 yard line so somehow despite you know only having 155 total yards of offense combined passing and rushing which is absolutely pathetic 
Somehow they were in position to win the game. Baron Allen immediately strip sacked. I mean, again, we were going to last week, man. I honestly thought Ryan Finley was starting until like Friday. And I was like, oh man, maybe I'm not giving this team enough of a benefit of the doubt. Maybe Brandon Allen can come in and give them something. Nope. He was arguably worse than what we saw from Ryan Finley, you know, in his previous performances uh, throughout the 2019 season. So literally stay away from everybody. Higgins, Boyd, Tate, Green, Gio, Smaj Piran, everybody. If you give me a star sick question, I am picking the other person. Even though Giovanni Bernard is still sitting there with a 75% snap rate, it's been moving around in recent weeks. And again, like what are we even getting the snaps for at this point? Because the touches are about as empty as you could imagine. So I would honestly take the Jets over the Bengals on a neutral field. Hell, even on the road at this point, I really think the Bengals without Joe Burrow are that bad. And because of that, give me the Dolphins all day, all week, and twice on Sunday in this matchup. Andrew, you got a few nicer things to say about uh, the other opponent in this matchup? <laughs> yeah, I got some nice things to say about the Miami Dolphins. I want to open it up with Devontae Parker, who I think is still kind of being underrated kind of by the consensus. I mean, he's a wide receiver one, you know, top 12 guy with Ryan Fitzpatrick under center. Like, that's his claim to fame. You know, we saw it last year when Preston Williams went down. Devontae Parker was basically the wide receiver two for the rest of the season behind only Michael Thomas. You know, on the year this season, Parker has a 40% target share with Ryan Fitzpatrick under center. And that's not just, you know, one or two games. That's a couple games in the beginning of the season when Fitzpatrick was the starter. And the only thing that was really missing was the touchdowns. And... Preston Williams was the guy that Fitzpatrick was targeting the most in the red zone, in the end zone. Preston Williams is gone. So Devontae Parker, I really think that this is an eruption spot. We've seen two decent back-to-back games. He went over 100 yards last week, but I think this is a smash spot for him. I think that in DFS, I think you want to be on Devontae Parker in this matchup as kind of a one-off. Again, you don't want to play any of these Bengals guys, but his price is really good kind of in the middle range. So I really like Devontae Parker in this matchup again. You know, the past two seasons without Preston Williams and Fitzpatrick in the lineup, he's averaged just under 10 targets per game and over 100 receiving yards per game. Mike Gusecki leads the team in touchdown receptions over that time span. So he's kind of the guy that also gets a lot of looks near the red zone or in the end zone. And the Bengals this season have faced the third third most end zone targets to tight ends and the second most raw targets to tight ends lined up in the slot. So we know Mike Gusecki is kind of a bonafide slot wide receiver plays 70% of his snaps from the slot this year, which is the most for tight end. So I think, Hey, Gusecki went going back to him, went worked last week and it was only, you know, a touchdown that kind of saved his day, but you know, tight ends, a barren wasteland. So I'd go back to Gusecki again. Yeah, 100% with you on both of those, man. Jaguars at the Vikings. We got the Vikings sitting as nine-point favorites. Game total of 50 has moved up to 52. Look, Jake Luton, Mike Glennon, Gardner Minshew under center. We've seen all this, you know, be really a just a revolving cast throughout the year. Does not matter for James Robinson. All he wants to do is put up fantasy production for all you James Ra- RB1 son fantasy football managers out there. This season, the only running backs with more total touches than James Robinson are Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, and Josh Jacobs. Absolutely wild. And we've seen uh, with Glennon under center, them actually get back to feeding Robinson more targets. So last week, uh, Davina Zigbo was the backup running back. But even then, man, week high, position high, 97% snap rate for James Robinson. We're not even having Chris Thompson or Dari Ogubuwale steal targets anymore. Like, they just weren't even out there. I know they've been banged up and stuff. But, hey, that's the, you know, cards are being dealt. And it's fantastic because Robinson, even if they were, you know, getting him at that 20 touch mark more weeks than not, he was losing some pure pass down work. Now that's not even the case. So, you know, situation 
position where he just had this role all season long. I think we've just kind of expected at some point for him to cool down. He really hasn't. And because of that, he's the RB6 in PPR points per game on the season. Keep firing up as a top 10 option that he truly has been all season long. It's not the best matchup against the Vikings. I get it going on the road. I wouldn't be shocked if Glennon comes back to earth in a major way here. But, you know, in fantasy football, I'm not even saying it all year. We chase volume, not so much talent. Robinson is one of those situations where he has more than enough volume. And to his credit, I think we've seen enough to at least consider him at a minimum an above average talent at the running back position, if not more. Truly has been, a, you know, not, not a great 2020 for most people out there, but definitely a hell of one for James Robinson. Andrew, what's up with uh, Captain Kirk Cousins, who's been slinging the ball a little bit more uh, around than usual lately? Yeah, Kirk Cousins has been lighting it up. You know, some of the defense he's played haven't been that great. But again, you know, it's the same scenario here with the Jacksonville Jaguars coming to town. And yeah, I think that it's really a smash spot for all of the wide receivers, the tight ends. I think Kyle Rudolph's in a really good spot. Again, you were able to stream him last week. That really paid off with no Adam Thielen he and no Irv Smith Jr. He was able to basically be a tight end one, you know, seven catches, seven targets. So again, a lot of end zone looks or end zone targets went to the, or not to Rudolph, but those are available without Thielen. Thielen's expected back in this lot in this game. So I don't like Rudolph as much, but if Irv Smith is at least gone, I think that you can go back to Rudolph Jacksonville's tied with two other teams for the most touchdowns allowed to tight ends this season. And also for that reason, again, you know, trying to decide between Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson and DFS is going to be really tough to do this week because they're both priced very similarly to each other. And again, they're both playing the Jaguars who just suck all over the board in the secondary. So you're trying to figure out, okay, which one do I play? And I think for me, again, you know, Jefferson's a little bit cheaper. I think that actually going to lean towards Jefferson. You look at the way that they scored their fantasy points this year and Thielen's really been touchdown dependent. You know, he only has three games this season where he's gone over, I believe, 65 receiving yards where you have Jefferson who's done it on six games so or seven games, excuse me. So Jefferson's had more of the yardage with him than Adam Thielen has had this season. And Kirk Cousins, again, he's been balling out, but he's also kind of falling out at an unsustainable rate. He ranks third among quarterbacks in fantasy points scored above expectation. And at the same time, Dalvin Cook has ranked third expected fantasy points below expectation. So I'd expect those things to kind of regress to the mean. I'm not going to think that we're going to see another 30-point performance from Kirk Cousins because I think that Dalvin Cook is going to have a much better game than he had last week. So I'm going to lean on Jefferson here with the yardage total and think, hey, maybe if Rudolph catches a touchdown, maybe that's one less touchdown that Adam Thielen gets. Volume always a problem in that Vikings passing game, but credit to Kirk Cousins, career high marks in PFF passing grade, yards per attempt, and average target depth has helped enable two consistent, if not, you know, wide receiver ones, at least top 20 wide receiver twos and Thielen and Jefferson alike. Next matchup, we got the Raiders at the Jets, seeing the Vegas Raiders as eight point favorites. Game total has dropped from 48 to 47. Look, everybody. Relax. The Raiders are going to be at, you know, maybe they're not going to be world beaters, they're not going to be contenders, but they're going to be an above average offense moving forward. That was a complete dud last week. Can't say anything nice about it, but just know the three weeks before that, 31 points against the Chiefs, 37 points against the Broncos, 31 points against the Chargers. We have more than enough examples before then of them also putting up numbers. That was their floor game. It's in the past now. Don't let last week's happenings, you know, force you off this game, which is another smash ball for them against the Jets defense that we see time and time again, particularly against the Chiefs. They are just so hard-headed in their old school, you know, Greg Williams, we need to stop the run first, second, and third, that they let these really good passing games just ball the hell out through the air really all afternoon long. So Derek Carr, 
Nelson Aguilar, Darren Waller, all busted last week. But, you know, I would really encourage people to pretty much take the same view we had going in that Falcons matchup into this Jets game. Because, again, I do think we're going to see a nice bounce back performance in a matchup that everybody would be salivating over if it wasn't just for that, again, Awful, awful, awful week 12 dud. Would also just know with this backfield with Josh Jacobs looking questionable at best with his ankle injury. It's Devontae Booker season, everybody. And we saw him pop off earlier this year with 81 yards and two touchdowns in a revenge game versus the Broncos. You know, we told you after that game, do not go back to well here. It's still Jacobs backfield. But if you remove Jacobs from the picture, even if Jalen Rashard gets back healthy, he's been dealing with, a, you know, an illness and a chest injury over the past few weeks. I don't think it matters, man, because last year, even with Jalen Rashard healthy, but with Jacobs out, we saw DeAndre Washington, who's now on the Dolphins, in three starts, get 63%, 63%, 74% of the snaps with 20, 25, and 25 touches in those games, including 19 combined targets. So, Booker, someone that I was always a little bit confused why he was kind of the early down compliment to Jacobs because he was just a more of a pass down guy in Denver for the first couple years of his career. Hey, it really doesn't matter what we think, Andrew. It matters what the Raiders think, and they are clearly confident in Booker being, you know, their true feature back behind Josh Jacobs. So, hey, it might only last a week because it sounds like Jacobs' injury isn't all that severe, but to me, Booker over Cam Akers is the number one waiver wire ad of the week just because I think he has the much higher week 13 ceiling. Week 14 and beyond, we know we can talk talk about something else but hey it's week 13 man we gotta get our wins right now when we can so i think uh you know you always want to have a long-term view i get it but more than ever right now we gotta get those uh weekly wins i think booker gives you a better chance to do so than acres or any other really uh free agent running back out there on waivers andrew you can keep it short man what's up with uh sam donald and these guys Ah oh, man, I didn't really want to talk about Frank Gore, man, but I had to do it. I had to write him up over the past two weeks. Frank Gore ranks seventh in rushing yards and has told of 38 touches in the Jets' backfield. Adam Gase is feeding this old man his breakfast, his cream of wheat, his oatmeal, whatever the old men are eating these days. I mean, the running back position's in dire straits right now. Again, you mentioned Jacobs. If he can't go and you're you know scrambling to find a running back to replace him off the waiver wire, you know, Frank Gore is available in, you know, 25% of leagues or in 75% of leagues. He's 25% rostered in leagues. Again, it's Frank Gore. That That's why. And you can't, Pat, you can't, this matchup is good. The Las Vegas Raiders, about third most fantasy points to the running back position this season. It's a great matchup. You know, Ido Smith got, did damage against them last week. We thought it was a good spot for Brian Hill. If he'd gotten the touches, maybe he would have played better. But again, you got to go with Frank Gore. He's getting the touches, and that's what we need to follow when it comes to the running back position, and maybe the Jets can score. Again, if the Raiders, let's say they continue to suck, then, hey, the Jets might score some touchdowns, so that would be good for Frank Gore. The more player I'm more excited to talk about, though, is rookie Denzel Mims. He's really starting to kind of come into form. He's got eight targets in his last three games, and last week was the first week that we saw Darnold, Crowder, Perryman, and Mims all in the lineup at the same time, and it was Perryman and Mims that led the way in targets. Crowder's honestly droppable at this point because... That slot affinity that Darnold had in the beginning of the year is gone. Like, he's not doing it anymore. Crowder's not seeing those same types of targets. And that's why we liked Crowder at all, which is because he was locked for 20 to 12 targets every single week. That's no longer the case. So, you got to go with Mims here. He ranks fourth in the NFL in total air yards over the past three weeks. Again, eight plus targets. So, I like it. The Raiders have allowed the fifth most passing yards to wide receivers over the past four weeks. I mean, I started Denzel Mims in a league last week, felt good about it, and probably going to go back to him again this week because. Got a lot of COVID guys on on the bench. 
Yeah, that Perryman, you know, pretty much can say the same things about him there. Sam Darnold, career-high single-game average target depth of 12.8 yards last week. To your point, he is seemingly over, you know, just feeding the slot every single moment of every single game. Hey, you know, you give a quarterback some uh, big, fast uh, field stretches on the outside, he starts throwing the ball downfield. Crazy how that works. Uh, next matchup, we got the Colts at the Texans, AFC South battle. Indy sitting as three-and-a-half-point favorites with a 52-point game total. So this Colts backfield, we removed Jonathan Taylor from the equation last week and we got down to two backs now because they were you know trailing by 21 points uh to the titans at halftime we didn't really see a situation for jordan wilkins to succeed but man i think it's gonna be hard to get get either of these guys outside of our top 30 this week it's definitely naeem hines should be the number one guy and i think he is gonna be uh you know kind of a high floor rb2 in this spot had 10 targets last week we've seen seen throughout the year you know when they get down in games he has a chance to flirt with those you know eight plus receptions just like frank Reich told us he might in the offseason if i will add but the biggest thing here with Jonathan Taylor on the COVID list, if he comes back, okay, now it's a tough situation. Again, we're pretty much guessing who it's going to be. But without Taylor, it's two backs. We can live with the two-back committee in fantasy football, and there's only so many one-back uh, you know, workhorses around the league. Everywhere else is three or four, and that's when it really gets muddled. So you look at this matchup, man, and the Texans are freaking 28th in yards before contact allowed per rush this year. I just think that you know they should be able to have some success on the ground. And in back-to-back weeks, they've been giving Naeem Hines a starting job and plenty of chances to run up the middle. So I think with guys like Naeem Hines and Duke Johnson, some of these, uh, you know, just backup running backs that we usually see only get their touches in the passing game when the starters are there. We just overuse the term scat back. Naeem Hines, they are comfortable running him up the middle. They have been throughout the year. And to his credit, he's usually done a better job than Wilkins and Taylor when asked to do so. So I think that Hines is someone that, you know, should probably be in the majority of fantasy football starting lineups as long as Jonathan Taylor remains sidelined. If he comes back, again, annoying three-back committee. We can't trust it. It's a true hot-hand approach. But take advantage of the situation while we only have two backs because as we saw even last year, man, like it didn't even last long where we saw Marlon Mack without Jordan Wilkins. We had Mack and Hines for a few weeks, but then Jonathan Williams randomly came in and butted his, head, butted his head into a situation. So I'm not saying this couldn't even expand to three backs. If Jonathan Taylor remains sidelined, that would suck, but it's possible. Just realize that for now, looks like a two-back committee and Hines should be the primary beneficiary of that. Wilkins, more of a touchdown-dependent RB3, but again, in this matchup against the Texans, wouldn't be shocked if he is able to find the end zone at least once in this plus matchup. Andrew, Will Fuller, man. It's a sad. It was a sad day at the PFF uh, headquarters yesterday. Jared Evans, our uh, you know amazing social guy for the PFF fantasy account, took it particularly hard. Oh man, it's it's tough on days like these. You know, we have personal life crises going on. We still just gotta you know put our heads down and get to work. So, uh, sorry to all you Will Fuller fantasy football managers out there, but you know we gotta keep on keeping on. And that's what we're gonna attempt to do right now with heavy hearts. So Andrew, give me some stuff on the Texans. Yeah, for you guys that don't know, make sure you go check out jared evans twitter account he put up a really funny video uh, it's not really funny but it's uh it, it it's hits hilarious. really <laughs> it, it hits really close to home when you talk about uh. will fuller and we were really big on will fuller coming in the season i think everyone at pff was pretty high on him i mean i know i liked him ian you liked him obviously jared liked him and uh, yeah it's, it's really sad to see him go and of course it's a six game suspension so he's gonna miss one game in 2021 so we have to factor that into the projections and and everything and it's just a it's a big mess so Okay, he's going to miss the rest of the season, as we know. So Brandon Cooks is obviously the guy you got to have locked in now. He's going to be the number one. He was kind of our, he was basically 1A, 1B when Fuller was playing anyway. Again, from a target standpoint, you know, you could have argued, oh, actually, Cooks was the number one, but it's like, hey, right, you know, Fuller's the man. Fuller's the best. You know, we watched him on Thanksgiving. He was amazing. I was screaming at the TV when he caught the touchdown. It was a great time. <laughs> 
But with him out, again, Cooks has had about a 25% target share since the Texans fired Bill O'Brien. So I'd expect that to bump up 26, 27, 28% around there. I mean, he's going to be around 8 to 10 targets probably every single week. So again, you're going to lock him in for those targets. But dating back to 2017, again, Watson is not as good without Fuller. Again, Watson is an elite quarterback, but you take away Hawkins. You take away Fuller. My my man Watson can only do so much um, as he continues to lose weapons. And without Fuller in the lineup since 2017, he's averaged 1.4 fewer passing passing touchdowns, or excuse me, yards per attempt, 55 fewer passing yards, and almost one fewer passing touchdown per game without Will Fuller in the lineup. So again, it definitely saps away a lot of ceiling from Deshaun Watson. Looking at the other receivers on the roster, Kiki Cutie, Stephen Mitchell Jr. is on the practice squad, and Isaiah Coulter. I mean, not names we want to get excited about. Cutie is probably the only guy that's interesting. You know, he's flashed in moments in the past, but at the same time, you know, there are a lot of other receivers that you can go to that, you know, are better than, than and again, the matchup's not great this week, you know, against the Colts. The Colts have a good defense. You know, don't go out of your way to, I got to play Cootie because, you know, he's going to have an increased role. He had increased increased role last week and he didn't do much with it so don't go out of your way to start kiki cutie the really the benefit i really like for this is the tight ends because over the past two weeks without randall cobb basically for the majority of those games the texans have run a lot of 12 personnel so over the past two weeks they run 12 personnel at the highest rate in the nfl 38.5 percent and that's actually up from their sixth highest rate overall in the season which was 32 percent since they fired bill o'brien so I think Jordan Akins is a guy that I was really high on coming into the year. I thought, hey, I was kind of trying to scrape the tight ends. You know, some of these late round tight ends, you could take a best ball. Jordan Akins was my guy, and I think that he's in a really good spot this week. You know, he draw he had two end zone targets last week, didn't come up with either of them. The process was there, start him in Thanksgiving DFS. It was there, he just couldn't come up with it. He left his hands at the in-laws, so he didn't come up with any of those catches. So I think Jordan Akins is in a good spot, and I want to pick him up, and I want to start him this week because... Who else are they going to throw to? You know, Watson's going to put up points, and I think Akins is going to be the guy that steps up here. Yeah, I'm fine with taking a chance on Cutie just because he should be, you know, their number two pass game option. And before, he was going to be always number three behind Fuller and Cooks. But yeah, I like that call on Akins. Fully expecting Texans to embrace two tight end sets during Fuller's absence. Next matchup, we got the Browns at the Titans, seeing Tennessee open as three and a half point favorites, up to five and a half now. Got the over under rising from 52 and a half up to 54 as well. So, you know, I talked on uh, the Sunday pod about how Baker Mayfield's performance was a little bit better than just that one awful, awful, awful miss he had to Rashard Higgins in indicated but let's be honest the engine of this Browns offense all season long when healthy has been Nick Chubb he had you know a dud in week one but that was more because the Browns lost by freaking 30 points to Ravens so he didn't have a chance to get going then he also had the game against the Cowboys we got hurt so we've had five you know true games from Nick Chubb this year and he has had 124 yards and two scores on the ground 108 yards and two scores 126 yards in the score 114 yards and then most recently 144 yards and a touchdown PFF our lovely employer that helps us pay the bills and, you know, pay for Will Fuller candles so we can go cry after that. Lovely employer, PFF. They came out in the summer and said that Nick Chubb was the best running back in the league. And it's really hard to debate that when you look at what he's done since entering the league in 2018. 46 backs have had at least 200 carries since then. Nick Chubb is number one in PFF rushing grade, number two in yards per carry, number one in yards after contact per carry, number two in missed forced tackles per carry, and number two, three, excuse me, in missed forced tackles uh, per carry. Excuse me, number two in total missed forced tackles on carries. And look, the thing is, Kareem Hunt, he's one of only two backs that 
ahead of Nick Chubb in the missed force tackles per carry metric. So the Browns truly have two top 10 real life backs, but you look in fantasy, starting to see a disparity grow a little bit between Chubb and Hunt in terms of touches. I still think both guys are going to be in the top 15, top 16 at the position, but Chubb is the one that, you know, top 10 every single week, never leaving your lineup. Kareem Hunt, a little more game script dependent, I think. So still two guys against the Titans that we can feel good about. This is not a defense that, you know, we really need to worry about. Eighth worst defense in the league. And, uh, you know, PPR points allowed to opposing RBs. Just realize Chubb, man, he's the one they're really trying to feed 20-plus touches a game to. Hunt, more than talented enough to make, uh, you know, good use out of his 12 to 15 combined carries and targets. But right now, man, it's the Nick Chubb show. Nick, show, Nick Chubb bandwagon. Hop on board, everybody. Andrew. AJB wide receiver one season's always here, man. But you got any other notes that the people might not be quite as familiar with with the Titans? Yeah, I mean, AJ Brown, you just got to lock him in. It doesn't matter what the targets are. Well, and that's why it's quick, so hard. Do you, you see that ESPN video? No, I didn't. What is it? I don't want to hate on other fantasy people. But oh. they, they pretty much had a beat writer come out and say, like, AJ Brown, he's someone that should be started in your lineups moving forward. It's like, bro, come on. How did well, this make it through I, well, rounds I, of editors and stuff? Well, oh. I think that you would, I think you pointed out it was by a beat reporter. So, again, you know, they're not in our, our nestle. so forced. So um, forced. That it's like, oh, we got to write this thing about AJ Brown, about how, you know, he's good in fantasy. It's like, yeah, you know, we've been talking about it for a while. I mean, <laughs> Don't get don't tell don't want to tell Ian Hart it's and obviously your Twitter followers are gonna make sure you know that right away. So I mean that's the thing, Brown. It doesn't matter what the targets are because the guy can take it's so weird, it doesn't need to be a deep target. It can be a slant he can take to the house. It can be an onside kick that he can take to the house. It just doesn't matter. So you just you just play him and you just you you rake. You you get you print, you rake, whatever. You love it. So I do want to talk about Derrick Henry though, because even though I think Nick Chubb is would would kind of put, you know, maybe give Henry a run for his money. If he hadn't gotten hurt so far this year, if he hadn't gotten hurt this year, I think that Chubb and Henry would kind of be in the discussion of the top two running backs. But because Henry has played just at a super elite level all year, I mean, look, he's approaching MVP levels of production in 2020. So I tweeted this out earlier today. For the first 12 weeks of the season, he's compiled 1,262 rushing yards, 12 rushing touchdowns, 3.6 yards after contact per attempt, and 300, or 938 yards after contact. Those are all better than... 2012 MVP Adrian Peterson did through the first 12 weeks of his MVP campaign. So look, I mean, I'm not saying Derek Henry's going to win MVP. Probably won't have it because obviously everything's quarterback driven. But the Titans going to run, man. And if they play the Chiefs in the playoffs, it's going to be because of Derek Henry that they beat them. So, I mean, I'll, I'll just I'll just leave it at that. So yeah, you're really happy to play him this week. I'm uh, kind of on the fringe of playing him in DFS. He's really expensive. And I think I'd rather just play for Dalvin Cook. And the Browns are going to get back Miles Garrett. So I think that's important to mention because the Browns defense has been pretty good against the running backs anyway this year. And Miles Garrett's really the engine that drives that defense. So I think that that's just an interesting decision people might have to make. I'd probably pay up for Dalvin Cook. He's only $300 more on DraftKings. Johnny Smith, goose egg to week 12. But as I've learned on this podcast, when I came on here and retired Brandon Cooks after he put up a goose egg against, um, it wasn't against Jacksonville, it was against an, another team, but I was like, oh, you got to drop him. And I remember Ian was like, I don't know, Andrew, I don't think you should do that. I was like, nah, just get rid of him. And, and that was that was a bad mistake, but I'm trying to learn from it. So Jonas Smith, goose egged, week 12. Don't hold grudges against tight ends in bad matchups. The Colts were basically the worst matchup you could have at the tight end position. Not the case here in week 13. The Browns have allowed the second most fantasy points to tight ends this season and the most over the past four weeks. So go back to Jonas Smith and don't hold a grudge against a guy that goose egged you. In your defense, uh, you didn't know Bill O'Brien was leaving the picture uh, shortly after that game, so maybe that uh, could have helped. But yeah, man, Derrick Henry, last five games to end this year, 
Browns, Jaguars, Lions, Packers, and Texans. Dude, oh it's 2,000 yards is, is in the cards. I am so here for it, and I love it. Next matchup, we got the Washington football team at the Pittsburgh Steelers, seeing the Steelers as 10-point favorites, down to 8.5, and the over-unders at 44. So we were recording this before. The Steelers play the Ravens on Wednesday. Unfortunately, we cannot just stop all of our lives and our you know, usual fantasy football content stream because of Wednesday uh, afternoon football. I am looking forward to watching that one during the day. So excuse us if you're listening to this later in the week. You know We haven't quite adjusted for uh, what the Steelers and Ravens are doing, but that is life in the 2020. 20 NFL season with the Washington football team. I think it's so incredible how good Terry McLaurin has remained with, you know, what's starting to become, you know, even a quarterback stream to rival what uh, Allen Robinson has been doing with throughout his career. Because you look at McLaurin over these past two seasons, I mean, Case Keenum is like the shining star of play he's had under center to this point. Dwayne Haskins, uh, you know, Kyle Allen, now Alex Smith. There's been some good moments from all those guys, too. I'm not saying he's been doing a complete dumpster diving quarterback play, but not that far away, man. And, you know, we look at what, again, A-Rob has gone through not all that dissimilar from McLaurin, but we look at what he's done this year, man. Five-plus catches in all but two games, 60-plus yards in all but one game. There's only three players in the league that have at least 50 receiving yards in 10 games this year. Travis Kelsey, DJ Moore, which surprised me, and Terry McLaurin. Only three, and it's those guys. And I think a big part of it has been how they use McLaurin. Obviously, he can get downfield, no problem. You've seen him, you know, toast guys deep. One of the best, you know, route runners in the game, in my opinion. He can go intermediate. He can do it all. He is a true number one wide receiver. But just the way they use him to get him going after the catch has been special to see. And I think is what has enabled this sort of, you know, consistency. Only Alvin Kamara, with 618 yards after the catch, has more yards after the catch this season than Terry McLaurin at 445. So, you know, those crossers, screens, the situations to get the ball in his hands, it truly is great to see. Because there's a lot of wide receivers that maybe they can run the routes, maybe the they have the contested catch ability. Maybe they're just great with the ball in their hands. Terry McLaurin can do it all. He is a true alpha wide receiver one. You absolutely love to see it. And I am looking forward to watching Terry continue to make mincemeat of secondaries for years to come. It's not the most ideal matchup against the Steelers, obviously, because, you know, league's best pressure rate. You can certainly see a scenario where Alex Smith just isn't able to get any sort of time. But again, because of this yak factor, I do think that Terry McLaurin has earned matchup proof wide receiver one treatment here moving forward. Andrew, thoughts on, you know, a Steelers team that, again, you just don't really have all that much information on at the moment. Yeah, I don't even remember the last time I watched the Steelers play. <laughs> I just know that everyone was pissed off that they had to move the game. And then, hey, what happens then their guys get COVID. So, hey, man, just keep yourself head down and focus on your team. And, you know, maybe we can make it through the season. But, okay, James Conner, again, whether he's back in the fold or not, don't like the Steelers running game in this matchup. Again, you know, the running game has kind of been – forgotten about in the Steelers offense you've mentioned it before on the podcast you know they're doing a lot of spread stuff they're really trying to focus on throwing the ball with Big Ben's arm the football team has allowed the third fewest fantasy points to running backs this season again that's a really stout defensive front tons of studs up across the defensive line I don't like the matchup so whether it's James Conner Benny Snell Anthony McFarlane whoever the lead back is I don't really like this matchup especially if we're seeing the touches you know distributed evenly it's not one guy you know their running backs are not being involved in the passing game nearly enough and I do expect that this defensive line is going to overpower the Pittsburgh run blocking unit. Again, football team, eighth graded run defense this year for PFF. Pittsburgh's run run blocking unit ranked 31st, which is also part of the reason why they are struggling to run the football with James Conner. Eric Ebron, I like as a tight end option. Again, you're starting all the Claypools and the Deontay Johnsons of the world, assuming that they're all good and healthy and ready to go. You're going to start all those guys. But I like the tight end. Eric Ebron's been involved more, more weeks than not. 
Washington ranks 23rd in touchdown percentage allowed to tight ends this season. And Ebron has been heavily used in the red zone. You know, he's caught a lot of touchdowns. He has three touchdowns over the past four weeks, which leads all tight ends. And he hasn't even played at the time of this recording his week 12 game yet. Wow. <laughs> Madness, Andrew. The season is in full swing and the action is still unfolding. So head over to DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app with so many storylines in both professional and collegiate sports. This is the time to check out all that DraftKings Sportsbook has to offer. If you haven't tried the app yet, head to the App Store now because you do not want to miss this, people. To celebrate Sunday's action, DraftKings is ensuring all new users are covered up to $100. That's right, you bet. They cover with risk-free Sunday betting. Additionally, this weekend, there is plenty of action to get on. So head to the app now to start making it rain. On top of those great sign-up offers, DraftKings offers great odd, odds boosts every Sunday to help you make it rain. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. Again, DraftKings Sportsbook is ensuring your Sunday bets up to $100. That's right, you bet, and they cover up to $100 when you use promo code PFF during sign-up. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So, must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Risk-free coverage paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. <laughs> Next matchup, we got the Lions at the Bears. Chicago sitting as three-point favorites, game total at 45. So we talked about the Falcons, you know, and the impact that losing Julio Jones has had on Matt Ryan and really the entire offense. Similar things going on with uh, Matthew Stafford not having Kenny Galladay in the lineup. So look, Galladay's healthy. He's a top 10 wide receiver, and I'm fine kind of bumping up Stafford a little bit in the ranks, but this is a tough matchup. You know, pretty much we've seen, I'm sure you got some good Trubisky versus the Lions stats uh, coming up, but this has not been, you know, a spot that's really treated uh, Stafford all that kindly in the past. You know, we lost Patricia. Maybe we got the Daryl Bavel, you know, coming in, inspiring the guys, storyline going, but without Galladay in the picture, I'm hard pressed to get behind this passing game. Marvin Jones, you know, can be this upside wide receiver three. He scored, you know, in almost every game uh, without Galladay this year. He's had back to back. Uh, scoreless efforts but two weeks ago you know, unless we forget he did have about 50 yard hail or not hail mary flea flicker uh, for a touchdown that got nullified on a pretty iffy illegal formation penalty so he's been doing his thing more weeks than not I'm okay you know looking at him again as an upside wide receiver three TJ Hawkinson's been a top eight tight end you know throughout the year keep firing him up the game changer though is if DeAndre Swift can get healthy he is a legit top 10 fancy running back the second he clears the concussion protocol people without him it's been carry on Johnson dominating snaps because they've been losing he gets the targets Adrian Peterson and getting the carries we saw swift take this backfield over last time he was out there which was week 10 you know three-point victory over the washington football team but they were really dominating throughout this one and we saw swift you know set season high marks in uh snap percentage of 73 percent and carries with 16 and he still had you know tied a season high with five targets as well so we're looking at a legit three down roll with the rookie running back that to be honest man like it's you could argue that he's kind of looked the best out of these guys this year. And that's nothing against, you know, Gibson or Dobbins or, you know, the flashes they provided as well. But truly that against Washington football team, man, they're using Swift lined up as a receiver, just out of the backfield, running it up the middle. There is nothing he can't do on a football field. And you see, you know, that elusiveness and just overall agility that the coaching staff and other players alike from Detroit have really been talking about since August. So DeAndre Swift, hashtag good at football. He's getting the touches. He could be this, you know, kind of a little bit under the radar guy that just ends up taking 
taking over the fantasy football playoffs if he can manage to clear the concussion protocol in time. I realize he's fully on rosters. He's not someone that's available to be picked up or anything like that. But if he is on your team, he needs to be in the starting lineup the second he is healthy enough to do so. Andrew, what's going on with maybe the like the saddest offense in the league right now? I mean, I know Trubisky put up some numbers last week, but just week after week, man, it's just sad. Yeah, I mean, the Trubisky, if you look at the box score, you're like, oh, man, like Trubisky, let's go. You know, installing life into this offense, but it's it's so garbage time. It's gross. And look, those count. But something I've learned about, you know, garbage time is it's not something you should rely on going in every week and be like, oh, well, they're going to be down by tons. And, you know, there's a reason why they're down. You know, that's not always a good thing to rely on because it means inefficient play, which also means, hey, this could lead to turnovers. And, hey, this could lead to him getting benched. And then you don't have the opportunity to catch up and get those garbage points. But I will say with Trubisky, if he gets the start in this matchup, like you mentioned, you know, he's been really good against the Lions. And he has thrown for at least three touchdowns in his last four games. First, the Detroit Lions. And he's thrown for multiple touchdowns in three of his four starts so far this season. So I do think Trubisky is an interesting streamer in a two-quarterback format. I know I picked him up in one of my leagues where I needed another quarterback because I have Bridgewater on a bye week. So I think that Trubisky is interesting as a two-quarterback play if he gets to start, if they obviously don't clear Nick Foles. But, I mean, I don't feel great about this offense in general because I do think that the Lions could come out and be more inspired. You know, Matt Patricia got fired, and, you know, from the social media responses across the league, you know, it seems like everyone is just absolutely ecstatic with that type of news, and it seems like the players could respond really well to new coaching, to Daryl Bevel kind of taking over as interim head coach. So I, I am not in love with David Montgomery this week. Again, it's a really good matchup. He's coming off his first 100-yard game of the season, but... You know, Montgomery, you know, in DFS, the price is really good. You know, the matchup is there, but I I could just see it being so easy to be like, hey, I'm just, I'm not going to do it. Like David Montgomery chalk week has not always benefited. I know there was a couple weeks ago where he played the Carolina Panthers and he basically did nothing. So again, he's far from a DFS lock button play, I would say, when it comes to David Montgomery and anything. Detroit Lions defense, you know, at, at the price that they're at is probably a really good option to pay down at. Other pay down options I really like, Darnell Mooney. And Cole Komet, you know, Darnell Mooney's 3.4K, Cole Komet's 2.5K, bottom dollar for the tight end position. Mooney has been an air yards machine all season long. Again, he's kind of, you know, approaching 2019 Curtis Samuel territory where it's like, all right, is it going to happen? Is it, I'm waiting. And look, Curtis Samuel did connect in like one game last year. So I am hopeful that maybe Mooney can at least convert one of his air yard, you know, into some type of game. And if it's going to ever happen, it would happen in this spot. The Lions have allowed the highest percentage of explosive passing plays so far this season. Obviously we saw Will Fuller pour one out. We saw Will Fuller <laughs> absolutely go off against them on Thanksgiving, you know, on the deep ball. So Darnell Mooney is getting those targets. So I like him. If you need a wide receiver three play with upside, I like Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet, you know, he's been quietly operating as the tight end one for the bears over the past two weeks. Jimmy Graham is not being the tight end one, you know, Komet has played, in front of him, you know, the targets don't necessarily say that, but it's really been the snaps, the routes run. Komet is actually playing over Jimmy Graham. He played 80% of the snaps in their last game, and Graham just paid 35% of the snaps. So if you have this absolute stud lineup that you're building in DFS, you're like, ah oh, man, like I just need to like throw in a tight end, you know, throw in Komet. Because you look at three of his tar- or two of his targets from last week came inside the 10-yard line. So I like his chances of maybe score over the past six weeks. Detroit has faced the third most targets to tight ends inside the five-yard line. Further reminder that the Bears uh, gave Jimmy Graham a no trade clause. That's uh, what 2018 GM of the year for doing that. Come on, man. 
All right, quick uh, shout out to our lovely friends at PFF, our employers. Use promo code CYBER40 to save 40% off any PFF subscription now through December 7th, 2020. People, this gives you six days to save 40% on any PFF subscription. Fantastic news. Sounds like a deal to me. Code CYBER40, C-Y-B-E-R. Cyber's kind of a hard word, you know, it just kind of it rolls off the tongue well, but you don't quite know. And I want you to go save 40% if you're able to. So CYBER40, 40% off any PFF subscription through December 7th. Don't shoot the messenger for spelling out cyber. It's a tricky word, and I'm just trying to help you. So it's all in love. Cyber 40, 40%, any PFF subscription. Gotta love it, everybody. Next matchup, we got the Rams at the Cardinals, Arizona. Opened as a one-point favorite. This has flipped all the way to the Rams as three-point favorites now. Game total holding pretty steady at 48. So... I've seen a lot of buzz for Cam Akers kind of throughout the fantasy community being, you know, one of the prime waiver wire additions. I don't hate it. I would just say as things still currently stand, he's not anything more than, you know, this kind of boomer bust RB3 that it's going to be hard to kind of expect consistent booms because Malcolm Brown is someone that they just love to soup up pass down snaps. They trust him in any situation. They don't, they don't always give him goal line touches, but he is their short yardage back. You know, if there's a timeout or something and they're on the one or two yard line, they might sub him in, but they're comfortable giving Akers and Henderson's some goal line touches, but Brown is there as well. And you just look at what happened last week. I mean, the first half, Akers played just 6% of the snaps. In the second half, things got going. The only Rams offensive touchdown drive was literally three carries to Cam Akers, and he covered, uh, what was it, 68 yards on him and ended up punching it in from the one-yard line. So I don't disagree that he deserves to be the guy moving forward, but come on, man. it's We're in week 13 now. We've seen this one week after another with the Rams. It's a hot hand approach, just like it is with the Colts. I think, you know, we're overreacting a little bit to a one-game sample size. This isn't the first time Cam Akers has looked like the best running back in this room. Remember, you know, all the way back, let's see, I'm pulling up the game logs now. He had the monster run against Washington that in my mind was even more impressive than this run. And after that game, Sean McVay comes out and says, we are going to feature Cam Akers more. And he literally played four snaps without a single touch over the next two weeks. So I know it's been after the bye and it's not the same situation and he has been getting more consistent run, but still doesn't have a game this season with more than 10 touches. Or Okay, going back to week one, he doesn't have a game with more than 10 touches. I just think, you know, we're probably jumping the gun a little bit, expecting him to be, you know, a viable option as this committee remains. I will say he's a good guy to have on your bench if you're able to, because look, an injury to Henderson or Brown gives, uh, you know, Akers a sort of role that we would actually be firing him up, I think, as more of a borderline RB2. Same thing goes for Henderson, who hasn't really looked the same coming off that quad injury, you know, exiting their bye, but I don't think it's been enough uh, bad play for them to, again, fully bench him for Akers. It's really tough, man, to just assume there's going to be this drastic workload change when there's not an injury in Involved. I think that's the trap some people are falling into. So again, Booker over Acres for week 13. Maybe things change, but just based on what we've seen this year, I think, uh, you know, we're just hoping more than we're uh, projecting Acres to, you know, be at the top of this backfield because we just really haven't seen that all season long. Angie, what's going on with Kyler Murray and company who haven't quite been looking so hot in recent weeks? Yeah, I'm just praying that Sean McVay doesn't like take a note out of the Bruce Arians coaching book and just oh somehow say, you know what? Got to get 20 touches, Cam Akers. <laughs> got it, dude. I got to admit, that tweet that you sent out with the, with Bruce Arians, just 20 touches to all these backs, it's dude. Been, uh, Andre Ellington, David Johnson, Chris Johnson, now Ronald Jones, all getting 20-plus touches uh, from Bruce. Got to love it. <laughs> They're getting 20 touches. All the receivers are going to get 12 targets a game. They're going to run... <laughs> 150 plays. So, Tavon yeah, Austin, like, a dozen or two, you know, touches, webback season. That's my all-time favorite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, so Arizona Cardinals. So Kyler Murray scored fewer than 20 fantasy points for the first time all season in Week 12, and 
I mean, I think it really has to do with the injury. I don't think it's, you know, out of the realm of possibilities. Look, he's running less. You know, he was averaging before the past two weeks 9.4 rushing attempts per game, and over the past two weeks he's rushed five times per game. So, I mean, what's changed? The only thing that's changed is, oh, he banged up his shoulder. You know, he had an in- a shoulder injury. That's a legit thing. And I was talking to our injury expert, Mario Pilato, and he was like, yeah, it's usually a one- to three-week type of injury. So, I mean, I don't know if this is really a good spot for Kyler Murray. Look, it'd be one thing if he was playing a bad defense where you're like, all right, whatever, like, Kyler Murray will get it done with his arm. But this is the Rams. Like, they're one of the best defenses in the league so far this season. So, I don't feel great about Kyler Murray. I really want to, you know, listen to the reports this week and hear about, okay, yeah, he's practicing in full, like, no limitations. Because he was on the injury report leading up to last week. So, yeah, they took him off, but what does that really mean? I, I want to hear good things about Kyler Murray and his shoulder because, again, his rushing attempts have gone down. His average depth of target has gone down in the past two weeks, and that's obviously hindering his upside as a fantasy quarterback. And look, the Rams' defense has allowed the second-fewest fantasy points to quarterbacks over the past four weeks. It's not an ideal situation, especially, dude, like, Aaron Donald, man, like, this is their franchise quarterback. The last thing I want to do is get him smushed by freaking 99. So I'm definitely concerned about Kyler Murray. But at the same time, you know, the less Murray runs, the stock of Kenyon Drake continues to rise because instead of the quarterback looking to run, he's checking it down to Kenyon Drake because Kenyon Drake basically has more receptions in the last two weeks than he's basically had all the entire season. So if you have Kenyon Drake, and you're still kind of, uh, I don't think Kyler's still healthy, then you're going to keep firing up Kenyon Drake because they're feeding him inside the five-yard line. It doesn't make sense to me because you think, why would they you know, give it to Kenyon Drake when they could just do like a, a quarterback run with Kyler Murray, which seems like it never fails in the near the goal line. But it's because they're like, hey, we don't want to get Kyler Murray hit. We've got to protect this guy. So they're going to continue to feed Drake rushing attempts to help protect Kyler Murray, which I think is going to happen in this matchup again. Drake's going to have to score probably to hit fantasy value because the Rams have been really good against the run. They've actually allowed the second fewest yards before contact, you know, on the defensive line since week two. So I do think Drake is going to be a good spot. Again, he faced the Rams last week, last year, twice. He only totaled 91 rushing yards. So I don't expect him to do a lot of ground work, you know, get a lot of rushing yards on the ground, but LA has allowed three of its six rushing touchdowns over the past three weeks. So think drake scores in this spot which should make him worth a fantasy start where do you think drake ranks this year among all running backs and ppr points so the thing is like he missed that game but then he also had that like 45 point game so i would probably say he's somewhere in the like he's probably top 15 14th andrew kenyon drake one of the just punching bags for being a bust (laughs) throughout the first two months of the year inexplicably coming on hot in the second half and if he gets a couple more big games under his belt we're gonna be talking about a top 10 fantasy back (laughs) when it's all said and done you gotta love it no i i agree with everything you said about kyler like look obviously him having a hurt shoulder doesn't hurt his ability to run fast i mean your shoulder is not attached to your legs but for someone that scrambles more than just about any quarterback in the league clearly we seem to be seeing you know him take extra you know caution and just having a different you know level of risk allowance when he is out there running the ball so yeah man i had to rank him as my qb7 uh this week check out my quarterback ranking article out every tuesday on pff.com couldn't put him you know behind Taysom hill i don't hate myself that much but (laughs) qb7 was uh pretty tough to do regardless next matchup we got the giants at the seahawks so seattle opened as seven point favorites that is up to 10 seemingly with news that daniel jones could be missing this one due to hamstring injury which would put colt mccoy under center game total sitting at 48 and a half so with daniel jones and i think that 
not only is this injury, we were just talking about how important rushing ability can be for these dual threat quarterbacks. Like that is Daniel Jones, even if people don't really realize it. He's only produced 116 fantasy points just from production only through the air this season. That's only the 24th highest mark in the league among all these quarterbacks. I mean, guys like Joe Burrow, Baker Mayfield, Carson Wentz, Lamar Jackson, Gardner Minshew, like guys that have either been rushing, pure rushing quarterbacks or not playing much, still have more production through the air than Daniel Jones. I mean, truly, you know, next-gen staff will tell you he's the fastest this guy alive apparently and we've seen that get him a bunch of rushing production all year long so if we're taking that away from daniel jones and you know credit to him for trying to play through that injury i mean he got hurt he went out the next snap he just literally couldn't move so he had to go down they brought him to the sideline he tried to come back out the next drive and he couldn't move again so you know he might try to tough it out but i just have no confidence in him and this giants passing game it's not even necessarily on daniel jones the giants have the third best uh rate of catchable deep balls in the league they just don't do it that often in the offense line usually can't protect Jones so you know it's easy to say these guys suck and stuff but Jones actually has shown a high ceiling at certain times just usually doesn't have enough time to do it and obviously uh, still making his fair share of boneheaded plays so not saying he's been fantastic all year but truly in fantasy land the one thing that was really keeping him afloat was that rushing upside and without that man I am out and then with Colt McCoy you look at the Seahawks defense, who actually, actually have been playing a little bit better in recent weeks, so I don't think they're the same uh, sort of just complete smash spot that they were for the first two months of the season. I have no confidence in Jason Garrett, you know, putting together a game plan well enough to, you know, enhance whatever Colt McCoy can bring to the table at this point in his career. There's a second and 10 last week, just, you know, middle of the quarter, 30, 40-yard line. There was no, like, weird condition about this. And Jason Garrett, like, unironically called a QB sweep for Colt McCoy. It made... Absolutely no sense to me. I don't like that. That one play alone, though, just made me lose my entire confidence in what McCoy and this Giants offense can do. So they're playing hard. Defense has been underrated all year. I like the receiver talent and the matchup. You know, again, even if it's not quite as cake as we you know we saw in the first couple months, still a good matchup. No, I'm out. Out on Colt McCoy. Out on Daniel Jones. Even if he starts, because again, I just don't think he has that rushing upside. It's unfortunate. You know, I've been saving up Jones on a couple fantasy teams, just hoping for this one spot start in Week 13. Not going to be. Be the case we got to find other options people i would recommend kirk cousins and ryan fitzpatrick if they're available on the waiver wire andrew seahawks offense that you know they're winning football games but russ isn't cooking quite as much lately yeah so basically the seahawks neutral pass rate basically what they do when the score is pretty even across the board you know it was number one in the nfl the first eight weeks of the season at 73 percent. they were passing more than anyone else in a neutral game script and that has dropped off closer to league average over the past four weeks down to around 63%. So basically, you know, he's cooking a little bit, but it's more like, hey, I'm not the Iron Chef. It's like, hey, here's your easy bake oven. You know, that's the case with Russell Wilson so far. So I think in this spot, you know, Chris Carson is interesting. He came back into the lineup in week 12, but played fewer snaps and saw fewer carries than Carlos Hyde. So this might have people concerned about, oh no, like what are we going to do? Especially because we see a lot of these running backs come back from injuries and basically they get their full workload. So it was kind of odd to see Chris Carson, who seemingly is always hurt, but then comes back and gets the full workload that he's the one that doesn't actually end up seeing the full workload. But again, he was coming off four week absence and the Seahawks are probably playing the long-term game. They have other capable running backs. So it doesn't surprise me at all. They're trying to maybe ease him back into action. And I would expect that he's going to see the higher share of early down work kind of moving forward. You know, Hyde was the guy that saw it more this, this week, 
but I think going going forward, it's going to be more of Chris Carson. And again, Carson actually looked better as a rusher. You know, he had eight carries, but rushed for 41 yards. Hyde had 15 carries and rushed for 22 yards. So Hyde was not nearly as effective as a rusher. Carson obviously added in some bursts. So I think that's maybe what Pete Carroll wanted. He's like, all right, my guy's got the juice. Let's get him going. Let's go back to him, but let's not overwork him here in this spot again, especially because, you know, they were playing the Eagles. They were in control that entire game. They didn't really need to lean on their running back so often. So I think Chris Carson is totally fine. I think that's something important to point out as well. So Chris Carson as a pass catcher. So a lot of people look at this game and be like, oh, Hyde was on third downs a lot of the game. He was, you know, the pass catching back. But something to point out about Chris Carson's usage. So Chris Carson really doesn't play that much on third downs anyway, but he is almost never targeted on third downs regardless because all of his targets this season have come on first and second down. All of them. He's never been targeted on third downs. So he is a guy that I would like to, he's going to be involved in the passing game, you know, by design. It's not like, oh, well, we should put him in because we got to check the ball down. No, like he is out there running routes as an actual receiving threat on early down. So I think Chris Carson's in a really good spot to kind of go become an RB1 once again for fantasy managers. He should flirt with RB1 numbers against the Giants, who've allowed the eighth most fantasy points to running backs over the past four weeks and the fourth most targets to running backs on early downs this season. So I think Chris Carson's going to surprise a lot of people with his usage in the passing game. I could see him catching four or five passes in this matchup against the Giants who have been a pass funnel to running backs all season long. Yeah, even if the situation is going to be a little more 50-50 than Chris Carson and fantasy football manager would prefer, it's not going to be Hyde's backfield. I mean, to your point, 15 for 22. He did have about a 16-yard rushing touchdown nullified by a penalty. But, you know, usually on uh, Twitter during game days and stuff, I send out uh, sheesh alerts to talk about, you know, a drop touchdown or a nullified penalty, just stuff that you won't see in the box score. This one didn't make the cut because there's a difference between, you know, having a ticky-tack illegal formation penalty that nullifies a touchdown. The difference between that and a holding penalty that just <laughs> w- created the touchdown, you know, in the first place. So, yeah, it was not a good game from high by any stretch of the imagination, even considering the touchdown that got taken off the board. Uh, next matchup, we got the Patriots at the Chargers. LAC sitting as one-and-a-half-point favorites. Game total of 49 down to 47. So, you know, similar to Indianapolis, I think uh, this backfield is a situation where we haven't been able to get a good feel for it all season because guys have been in and out, injured, not injured. And just overall, it's always been at least three guys, and we can't trust that. We are down to two seemingly with Rex Burkhead done for the season with a knee injury. Last week it was Damon Harris, 68% snaps. James White, 37%. Sony Michelle, just 2% of the snaps. No carries, no targets. Look, Michelle has been off the injured reserve list for two weeks now. I, maybe he's still not 100%, but I just don't. I think we would have seen him get some run by now if he was going to. And I don't even like know if I agree with it necessarily because Michelle was playing some of his better ball pre-injury. Maybe he isn't back to 100%. Whatever it is, it's Damon Harris and James White now. And you know, James White was one of these guys last week where could have been a pretty hilarious victory lap for me to take because I was talking him up as a good play because of the potential for more targets and stuff with Rex Burkhead out. He had one target in this game and he scored two goal line rushing touchdowns, which was not even close to how I was expecting him to get that production. But, you know, it is just a reality that these types of things can happen when you're on the field a lot more. And that is what we have with White and Harris at the end of the day. So even though his production last week was incredibly fluky based on what, you know, how we would normally expect James White to go about picking up his yards, we still have a ton of evidence since 2017 of Burkhead being out of the picture and White getting more, uh, you know, just fantasy points and opportunities in general. Because you take Burkhead out of there, and that does mean White is now going to have a chance to get a handful of carries where before he was never even getting really any rush attempts per game. So, you know, I, was, I had him as like a borderline RB2. That was a little bit probably over, overall op- optimistic, but I do think both Harris and James White should be top 30 running backs as long as Michelle and any other third running back stays out of the picture. Two RB backfields. They're, even these are starting to become hard to come by and fantasy. 
fantasy land. Go after them when we can get them, and we do appear to have it. Against the Chargers team, man, that I know last week against the Bills, like that was the first time in two months that they had a game finish with a you know combined point total under 50. And you look at what was happening in that fourth quarter, just one turnover after another kind of offenses, giving it back away. Certainly, I think if they play that game 10 times, we're seeing them crack 50 in eight or nine of those occasions. So do think this is a game where Cam Newton and company will at least be putting up points. Whether they win it or not, we'll see. But I am expecting you know a bounce back performance from this passing game, which should involve more James White moving forward. Angie, what's going on with uh, Justin Herbert and the not-so-well-coached uh, Los Angeles Chargers? Yeah, I was surprised when you said that the Chargers were favored by a point and a half. That, I mean, look, the Patriots aren't this juggernaut of a team, I'll admit that. But, I mean, they've beaten the Cardinals, they've beaten the Ravens, they've beaten some decent teams this year. And the coach, I mean, look, I mean, just looking at the coaches, like, come on, it's not even, it's not even close. Did you see that? That quarterback sneak last week, like, dude, <laughs> like that was absolutely hilarious. What was going on with the Chargers? But, I mean, obviously, I guess you know, buying into the quarterback, you know, the offense of the Chargers is definitely better than the Patriots' offense. But especially with Austin Eckler back, man, dude, it is legit RB one season. I want to play so much Austin Eckler in DFS this week. Don't I mean the matchup is fine. You know, the Patriots are one of those teams where, hey, just run on us. Like we don't really care. We want you to run, collect yards, do whatever you want. But in all the healthy games Eckler has played this year, this guy's like twenty one touches, twenty five touches, thirty touches last week. Like he's a touch machine. And yeah, it sucks. Joshua Kelly, eye roll. He rushed into the touchdown. But it's not always going to be like that. You know, he's gonna get his goal line opportunities. He had some in this game. He was close to scoring in more games or in this last week. So He's going to find the end zone in this spot. Guarantee it. You can call it an Andrew Erickson guarantee. Eckler finds the end zone in week 13. I mean, 16 targets. It's impossible to ignore. So I absolutely love Austin Eckler this week. Any running back that has seen 15 or more touches first in New England this season has scored double-digit fantasy points. And a lot of their really big performances they've given up have been up to volume back. So absolutely love Austin Eckler in this spot. And I think a guy you can go back to as a wide receiver three play is Mike Williams. Look, Mike Williams, the matchup was not there last week. The Bills pride themselves, except for that DeAndre Hopkins touchdown, they pride themselves on stopping the deep ball. You know, they have the lowest deep ball rate against or allowed this season. And the Patriots, well, not the same story. It's dead last. So they face the highest deep ball pass rate so far this year, 25% since week, or excuse me, since week five. So... I mean, I don't see Stephon Gilmore being on Mike Williams. It's going to be a combination of J.C. Jackson, who has been burned at points during this year. So I really like Mike Williams. He had three end zone targets last week. Didn't come up with any of them. He actually has six end zone targets over the past four weeks. Has caught absolutely zero for touchdowns. That's not going to keep up. Regression is going to come in. It comes for all of us, Ian. Regression is always always waiting. It's, It's ugly eyes. So it's going to come. And I think Mike Williams scores this week as well. To your uh, point on the Andrew Erickson uh, week 13 guarantee, I thought Eckler scored last week, man. They didn't review it, but he caught this dump off, had like three dudes in front of him, somehow found a way to twist his way at the goal line. He like reached the ball out. I thought he broke the plane for a second, but they just gave it to Joshua Kelly the next play and he dove over. But no, I like that call. Austin Eckler needs to be in any ranking, you know, out there, top five back the rest of the way with this sort of insane receiving workload he's give, he's been getting. Top five might be understating. It might honestly be top three, top two, maybe even top one the rest of the way. We will see what happens. Next matchup, we got the Eagles.
Bengals at the Packers. Green Bay, six and a half point favorites to open up. That is now up to nine. Uh, game total 48 and a half down to 47. The public not happy with what they saw from Carson Wentz and company on Monday night. And how could you be, man? I don't know what he has to do to get benched. Clearly, to me, this is a decision that is based on his contract, and they don't want to give up on someone that has played at a very high level in this league. I mean, now we have to go back to this 2017 season, which just seems further and further and further away. But, I mean, okay, he has played at an MVP level for an extended stretch, and I understand that you don't want to give up on that, particularly when you've already made the decision to pay the guy. But why did he draft Jalen Hurts in the second round then? There is no plan. There's, you know, a situation yesterday where the only thing I could figure out is one beat writer said they had to burn a timeout because Jalen Hurts apparently grabbed the wrong helmet when he tried to go out there on the field. But, like, come on, man. Carson Wentz was miserable in that game yesterday, and it really has been that case for most of the season. He had an okay stretch from, like, week four to week seven or eight where he was starting to play some good football. But then before their bye, he had another stinker against the Cowboys. And coming out the bye, even with his guys getting healthy, it's been more of the same, man. 39 quarterbacks have at least 100 dropbacks a season. Wentz is 32nd in PFF passing grade. He has 24 turnover worthy plays that is six more than the next closest QB so 46 sacks taken is 12 more than the next closest QB as well I understand that the offensive line is banged up but you know sacks and pressure this is one of these things that PFF has figured out usually more of a quarterback uh, staff and an indictment on the offensive line and you look at Wentz he has the sixth longest time to throw this year and he's taking all these sacks so you look at the guys that have an even longer time to throw Lamar Jackson Josh Allen Deshaun Watson Russell Wilson guys that can actually you know extend the play and get away from these defenders I know Wentz, you know, at his peak, that was one of the best things about his game was his ability to operate off script, dodge a sack and get on. But it just seems like, you know, he's been forcing it the entire season, even on Monday night, like, when things are going particularly grim, it seems like Wentz just, you know, tries to let his rushing ability take over and just starts running around, you know, like with no care for his body at all. So it's a miracle he stayed healthy, you know, this whole year, just with the way he's been playing and all the sacks and, you know, whether or not he was injury prone coming to the years in our discussion. But yeah, man, I, I just... At this point, I don't know how they go to Hurts. I'm not even saying Hurts is a better option, but just based on what Wentz has done this year, I don't know if any other quarterback, you know, could have played this bad and continued to held off the other guy, unless we're just talking pure financial long-term reasoning, which again, I don't even, I don't necessarily fault the Eagles Forks continuing to try to stick with Wentz because he is their quarterback that they want to be, the quarterback of the future. But then it brings you back to what we do with Jalen Hurts in the first place. So, again, one of these things might be adding up okay, but I don't think there's any scenario right now where we can rationalize keeping Wentz in this whole year the way he's played and also drafting Hurts. So, against the Packers, like, no, I want Dallas Goddard, who's a top five tight end as long as Zach Ertz remains out. Miles Sanders, unfortunately, is seeing Boston Scott eat into a ton of his uh, work and negative game scripts. So, we got to start treating him is more of a borderline RB1, upside RB2, as opposed to the top, you know, 6-8 option we maybe thought he could be. But these receivers, man, way too crowded. We now have Alshon Jeffrey stealing Travis Fulgham snaps, Hightower stealing Rager snaps. Just stay away from everybody other than Dallas Goddard involved in this passing game because it has truly been a dumpster fire for a large, large, large percentage of the season. Not a dumpster fire has been the Green Bay Packers offense, Andrew. Pretty much every game other than the Buccaneers, Aaron Rodgers have been, has been dominating. You expected more of the same in this one? Yeah, I mean, you look at the way that Philly's secondary got exposed you know, by DK Metcalf, that's going to be Devontae Adams in this spot. You know, Darius Slay, yeah, he's an above-average cornerback, but 
know, there really aren't any shutdown cornerbacks anymore. The days of, you know, a Darrell Revis and Richard Sherman, it's really hard to find those guys. Even Jair Alexander, he's really good. But again, is he just so locked down that no one can ever score on him? You know, probably not. So Devontae Adams, 28% target share over the past two weeks. So that's included, you know, Alan Lazard back in the lineup because we knew he wasn't going to sustain his 40% target share or whatever he was at insane amounts, you know, during the earlier portion of the season. We knew that wasn't going to stay that way. But 28%, basically, when all the guys are back, that's, you know, pretty, pretty healthy. So we're going to fire up Devonta Adams, basically the wide receiver one on the week for me. And I like Alan Lazard as well. You know, he's back in the starting lineup. Week 12, he saw six targets, you know, only tra- trailing only Adams among the Green Bay pass catchers. So... I think Lazard's a really good play in DFS. Again, Slay's not going to be on Lazard, so that means Lazard could see more targets, you know, if Adam or if Slay can somehow match up against Adams in any way, shape, or form. So I do like Lazard in this spot here as well. Uh, Robert Tanyan, again, another guy you want to stack in with Aaron Rodgers because you got to play Aaron Rodgers stacks in DFS because, again, he's just kind of he's kind of in that Mahomes territory where it's like you know you just got to play him in tournaments because. He just has eruption spots where he just blows up. It doesn't matter what the matchup is. It doesn't matter. Can the other team keep up, keep pace, or whatever? None of those things really matter. So I like Robert Tanyan. Again, he fits in the category. 10 receptions over on 10 targets over the past two weeks. And he has that touchdown upside. Again, you get a tight end that scores a touchdown. He is going to finish the week as a tight end one, almost guaranteed. And I would say Robert Tanyan's chances, who also sees a lot of deep targets as well, his chances of scoring are as good as any tight end, I would say, in the NFL. So I'd continue to go back to Robert Tanyan as a tight end option. Aaron Jones is in an interesting spot here as well. So he's been continually splitting time with Jamal Williams, where it's probably a little bit more than we'd like to see. But again, he still had 17 carries last week. And Aaron Jones has never been a guy that has been this, you know, oh my God, like 30 touches a game. He's never been like that. I know, Ian, you do the running back reports, basically the touches, breaking it all down. And Aaron Jones has never been that guy. So... I get why people are frustrated again. He hasn't scored a lot of touchdowns. And this is part of the reason. We all talked about the offseason. Aaron Jones regression to touchdowns. Okay, yeah. It's kind of happening. Because all the touchdowns are going to Aaron Rodgers. Like that, like that's exactly what's happening here. So the offense is still being fruitful. So again, you still gotta play him. Uh, it's still a good decent matchup. You know, I'm not necessarily afraid of the Eagles. And again, we want to play high favored running backs, favored at home, and that's Aaron Jones in this spot. You know, the Eagles have faced the third most rushing attempts by running backs over the past three weeks because they are always losing in games. Ian, do you think the Eagles are going to lose this game? If you agree with me, then you will play Aaron Jones and have confidence in him. Yeah, absolutely, man. Look, he has at least 14 combined carries and targets in every single game this year. So he's kind of like that, uh, you know, Derrick Henry type mold where, okay, maybe he doesn't have the same touch or floor as him, but, you know, we see his game script dependent back thrown out there a lot. Packers do a good job again. Aaron Jones's touches pretty much every single week. Are the snaps as high as they probably should be for you know most people's idea of a top five back you know in the entire league? No, but you know Jamal Williams isn't trash, and it, it's just a situation where they're playing winning football. It's one of these annoyances we have in the fantasy football world. But Aaron Jones is still you know a very vital part of one of the league's better overall offenses. Three more games for you, everybody. We got the Broncos and Chiefs facing off on Sunday night. Chiefs to open as 13-point favorites. That's up to 14. Game total sitting steady at 50 and a half. So the Broncos are seemingly going to have a real-life NFL quarterback under center this week. Going to be tough to get behind, you know, Drew Locke, Rippey, and whoever is going to end up being uh, back there, though. Just Chiefs defense that, you know, makes it tough on opponents and just the fact that they're going to have to really keep their foot on the gas, try to keep up with Patrick Mahomes and company. I'm just not, you know, really, I don't have any kind of optimism in Drew Locke or anyone getting it done. Locke has shown, you know, the ability to put up some points, but ultimately in 13 career starts, he's only had, I think, three uh, actually usable fantasy performances. So not 
not expecting that to come, particularly against the Chiefs defense that we've really seen him dud badly against in uh, two career starts against them. So Melvin Gordon is the only guy I think we can start with any level of confidence. And even then, we're talking about a volume-based RB2 here. Just realize that, you know, when it's Gordon and Lindsey, it's pretty much a 50-50 split right down the middle, and they're you know going to get about the same amount of carries and targets. When it's not Lindsey, when it's just Gordon, Royce Freeman does not step up into that same Philip Lindsey role. In three games this year without Lindsey, Melvin Gordon played 79% of the snaps, 62%, and 80%, and he had you know 21, 12, and then 25 touches in those games. So the one that was a downer, there was an 18-point loss to the Buccaneers, and we could see something like that happening again. So I'm not saying Gordon's a must-start this week because again, this game script you know is projected to be awful for pretty much every. Everybody involved. If you have a fantasy lineup with no Broncos in it, you're probably in a pretty decent place. Uh, just, you know, realize that Freeman is not stepping up as, you know, the 1B. He's the clear number two. Gordon's the one. And for that reason, we can at least get behind him a little bit because anytime a running back could be flirting with 20 plus carries and targets, that's someone we got to be, you know, at least aware of in fantasy football land. Andrew, Patrick Mahomes, man, playing better than ever. You, uh, you buying a 2020, another MVP for him? And uh, let me know what you think of this matchup. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who else you would pick. I mean, again, Rodgers is in the conversation for sure, but Mahomes just makes it look so easy, dude. You know, he threw for 400 yards seemingly like in the first half, and he just made it look easy. It's like he has to make things harder for himself. Like, oh, I'll just, like, roll back a little bit more. I'll, I'll let this guy come, and then I'll do the sidearm throw where I'll just throw a touchdown, and it'll look really good. So the Chiefs can basically do whatever they want, and it's us as the fantasy analysts trying to figure out, okay, so we know the Chiefs are going to score, like, eight touchdowns in this game. Like, how are they going to get divvied up between these skill players? So in this spot, look, I'll mention Patrick Mahomes. He attempted a season-low 23 attempts the last time these teams faced. You know, the Chiefs, if they so decide, could definitely easily just run the football against this team again. It's no reason that you're going to be like, oh, don't start Patrick Mahomes or the pass catch, you know, start those guys. But I think that we might see a better game from Edwards Hilaire because the, the Denver Broncos defense has been absolutely atrocious against running backs this season. They've allowed the second most rushing yards and fantasy points to the running backs over the past four weeks. And that wasn't the weakness of the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers are known for their stout run defense. So the Chiefs are like, all right, well, screw this. We're not going to run the football. It's dumb anyway. We're just going to throw it. And it worked. So in this specific matchup, the Broncos definitely have a decent secondary. They have some strong quarterbacks. Again, not enough to probably stop Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey or any of those guys. But I do think Edward Slayer is in a much better spot to produce at least fringe, you know, solid RB2 numbers, top 15. I like him in this spot. Tyreek Hill's probably not going to do what he did last week. Again, I'm crossing my fingers, hoping that he, he doesn't do what he did again last week. But I'll say that he has a much tougher matchup this week. You know, the Buccaneers were really bad against slot receivers. Not the case with the Denver Broncos. Bryce Callahan is actually probably the best, one of the best corners in the league in the slot. He's allowed a league low 10.7 quarterback rating when targeted in the slot this season. So I think if you're playing, you know, a showdown slate with DFS, I think Travis Kelsey is kind of the guy I would want to target as that bounce back candidate as he kind of was, he had a quiet performance. It was like 17 fantasy points, you know, for tight ends and you just saw a tight end two on the week, but he got overshadowed a lot by Tyree Kill as most of the Chiefs did. So I expect him to kind of bounce back and he'll come back down to form a little bit more. Quick shout out to our sponsors, all first time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least 20 bucks in their account while using promo code PFF or receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's a $40 value for just $20, ladies and gentlemen. And you'll get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest growing fantasy sports sites in the USA and Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your 20 bucks with promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. 
Two more games, everybody. Now we are going to, and let's switch the order just a little bit. Stay on Monday night. Bills at 49ers. We got Buffalo sitting as two and a half point favorites. Game total at 48. So, Andrew, we talked about this a little bit on Sirius, and we, we were just, you know, again, Andrew hosts the show on seven to nine. You know, we kind of worked through some of the games that have happened, just kind of float some ideas out there that we haven't, haven't necessarily had a chance to go back and look at uh, statistically. But one thing you mentioned was Josh Allen this year with and without John Brown has had some alarming splits. And he has. I mean, three games without John Brown, we've seen him not put up the same sort of efficiency that we've seen otherwise. But I just think it's too small, and it's really just we're, we're being a little too ticky-tacky, I think, with uh, the games we're picking here. Because, look, I get it. In weeks 5, 7, and 12, not great efficiency from Josh Allen, but pretty similar efficiency to what he had in weeks 1, 6, 8, and 10 as well. I mean, he's had good and bad games with John Brown in the lineup. And we also just have a situation where, you know, what games are we picking and choosing? Because we look at that Rams game. John Brown was playing out far less than 100%, only played 29 snaps, didn't record a catch. Josh Allen goes for 311 yards and four scores against the fucking Rams, man. So I don't think this is something that we really need to worry about. Josh Allen has always been such a great fantasy quarterback because they let him throw the ball, you know, to his heart's desire, and he's, you know, to take off as much as he wants as well. He is 10th in dropbacks this year, 4th in rush attempts among QBs. Follow the volume, everybody. And even though it's a tough, you know, matchup uh, here this week, you know, against a well-coached 49ers defense, the whole reason we were kind of out on Josh Allen, not out, but the reason people worry about him this year, I felt like, was his second-half schedule. And you just look at it now compared to what we were probably looking at in August, and it's a bit easier. 49ers, they're getting a little healthier with Richard Sherman, but, you know, still a defense that without all those beasts on the defensive line, far from, you know, the world beaters we saw really take over the league for parts of 2019. We got the Steelers in week 14. That sucks. And then Broncos and Patriots in weeks 15 and 16. Again, well-coached units, but not the same world beaters that we've been seeing in the past, mostly because of some of the losses in the front seven. So Josh Allen, even if he's not, you know, going to be that top three QB the rest of the way that we've been seeing, I still think that he's someone that needs to be in, you know, the far, far, far majority of fantasy teams that are lucky enough to have him uh, under wrap because, hey, man, he's playing better than ever still. And I, I love it. But one of the things about him last season, like he was one of the most prone quarterbacks to throw in deep, but he was just awful at it. They valued Stefan Diggs. So now in 2018, he averaged 9.2 yards per attempt when throwing the ball 20 yards downfield. In 2019, it was just 8.7. This year, all the way up to 13.6. He's doing it less often, but he's doing it with much more efficiency. You love to see it. You know, he's been improving every single year as the Bills have been adding more and more pieces. I think the Buffalo Bills have really provided a nice blueprint for how to, you know, make the most of a young quarterback on his rookie deal. I'm not saying they're going to win the Super Bowl. Who knows? But I just think in terms of keeping their continuity and the coaching staff, adding new weapons and new offensive of linemen and really doing everything in their power to build the offense around Josh Allen. There's a reason why we've seen the Bills, you know, having more uh, consistently prolonged success than pretty much ever, you know, or at least going back into the early 90s when they were making all those Super Bowls. Good stuff out of Buffalo, expecting that to continue, even though they would certainly be better off with John Brown. I think Gabriel Davis, Cole Beasley, Stephon Diggs, more than enough firepower for Josh Allen to keep on keeping on. And yeah, Beasley, you know, I think he can be this wide receiver, you know, upside wide receiver three, maybe even borderline wide receiver two without Smokey. Gabriel Davis, more of a boomer bust wide receiver four, but solid in his own right. And of course, Diggs is never leaving your starting lineups. Andrew, that was a lot, but hit me with uh, your San Francisco thoughts. Brandon Ayuk is back in the lineup. He has been taken off the COVID reserve list. So Ayuk and Debo Samuel will be able both be able to be playing at the same time. You know, this 49ers offense, we haven't really seen all of the pieces played together. I don't know, actually, if there's a game where we have Garoppolo, Ayuk, Samuel, Kittle, all playing the same game yet this season. But we do have a three-game sample size of Ayuk playing alongside Debo Samuel. And in those games, Ayuk 
was the team's leader in air yards and was third in targets. So you look at the matchup here against the Buffalo Bills. Again, they have Tredavious White, but I mean, he hasn't been the same elite cornerback that he's been in years past. So I, I just have more confidence in Kyle Shanahan just scheming up plays to get guys like Debo Samuel the ball, you know, behind the line of scrimmage. Obviously, you know, we joke around, but Debo Samuel, the amount of yardage he has basically on negative air yards is just absolutely insane that he's put up this season. I do think Ayuk is going to be a guy that you can start here as well. You know, in those three game, in that three game sample size, you know, George Kittle was really leading the way with a 26% target share. So we haven't actually seen Ayuk and Samuel play together without George Kittle in the lineup. So with George Kittle not playing and it just being Ayuk and Samuel, I expect them to dominate the targets on Monday night. In the running back in the running backfield for the 49ers, again, Raheem Mostert, 40% snap share, 16 carries in week 12. Jeff Wilson, 34% snap share, 12 carries. Again, not ideal, but this is kind of what the 49ers backfield has always been. It's been a committee, but Raheem Mostert, when he's been healthy and active, he's always been the leader of the committee. They are obviously, you know, fine with running the ball to their heart's desire. And why wouldn't they, and especially in this matchup, the Bills? have PFF's 32nd ranked run defense this season. It is not good. They can't really stop anything on the ground. So I think the 49ers offense is going to be able to move the football. I think this game is a really, it's probably kind of like a sneaky shootout. So I like this game a lot from a fantasy perspective. So Raheem Moster, I have a lot of confidence in going back to this week as a low end RB1 play. Like that call. Yeah, great offense when they have all their pieces there. Unfortunately, just haven't seen much of that from San Fran this entire season. Last game, everybody, Tuesday night football, at least for now. Cowboys at the Baltimore Ravens. Ravens sitting at seven and a half point favorites, but we're just not seeing too many lines up. So take that with a grain of salt. We do not know if it's going to be Lamar Jackson back, Robert Griffin. Who the hell knows who's going to be under center or playing any position for the Ravens at this point uh, next week. So we'll see what happens. Uh, And just with the Cowboys, though, this offense is just such a train wreck. And look, it is not going to get better. One, because of this matchup. Ravens are one of the most blitz-happy teams in the league. I think they just kind of have the scheme on defense to make life hell for Andy Dalton. I mean, it's not like we've, we've seen that many a time uh, over the years back when he was with the Bengals. But we take away Zach Martin from this offensive line now, man. He was the only thing kind of keeping them together. I mean, look, they haven't had Lel Collins, Tyron Smith all season long. They've had other injuries to backups throughout. I mean, this offensive line has really been the main reason why they've been so bad in removing Dak Prescott from the equation like okay obviously losing Dak Prescott is why things have gotten the way they've gotten but I don't like Andy Dalton I think if we still had the great offensive line could be putting up you know better production but as it stands man this Cowboys offense has cleared 20 points once without Dak Prescott under center they went for 30 plus points in four of their first five games this season uh, with Dak slinging the thing so it sucks what this has become you know Zeke he's just you know more and more becoming that just more sadder and sadder uh, volume based RB2 play but we gotta keep going the well there it's it's ridiculous. I mean, he has four fumbles this year on just rush attempts. No other team in the league has four fumbles on rush attempts this year. So Zeke outpacing freaking 31 other NFL teams. You hate to see that. Amari Cooper with Andy Dolan has been doing his thing. We do have some troubling, you know, home and away splits with him to worry about. And the Ravens are far from a good matchup. I think he still earned, you know, weekly top 24 treatment at a minimum uh, with this sort of volume. But that's it. I don't want anything else to do with this Cowboys offense because, again, the matchup is rough enough. And I just don't know if they can win the line of scrimmage against any Anybody now with Zach Martin now, particularly not uh, the Baltimore Ravens. Andrew, again, t- tough one for you to break down here without having uh, the Wednesday night game. I haven't watched that yet, but what are your initial thoughts on the Ravens in this matchup? Yeah, I think when it depends on who plays for the Ravens, really bases your decisions on who you would play for Dallas. Again, you'll feel a lot better about Ezekiel Elliott if 
Brandon Williams and Calais Campbell and Darnell McPhee don't play. Like those those stud linebackers and defensive linemen, those guys aren't playing. Like, okay, like I feel better about playing Zeke, but I, you, you got to be fluid with the situation and pay attention to the news. And something I picked up on was I don't think that either Mark Andrews or Willie Sneed are going to be able to play in this game because of the fact that they when they tested positive for the virus, it puts them out of the timeline to be ready based on a 10-day quarantine. So that's based on the information that I have looked up and seen. Again, Andrew Erickson, fantasy analyst, not a doctor. So just want to point <laughs> that out, not a doctor. But from what I found out, that it's not going to be Mark Andrews and Willie Sneed. So if you have those guys, again, this isn't for this week. It's for next week's game. You need to prepare like, I'm not going to have Mark Andrews. So don't make sure you have a tight end backup plan for week 13 that isn't Mark Andrews. That being said, look, Marquise Brown, if if all those guys are out and it's the Dallas Cowboys, I don't know. I mean, Des Bryant, you're gonna go back to Des? Like, oh, I think man. you gotta Revenge go- game Des. <laughs> oh man. I mean, I would be willing to go back to go Marquise Brown. Again, if no Mark Andrews and Willie Steen, though those guys have led the team in targets over the past four weeks. If those guys are both gone, I I mean Marquise Brown, if I can tell you he's gonna get ten targets, you're probably gonna start him. Does he catch one? I don't know, maybe. I mean, that's what it's been like so far playing him this year, but I'll go back to Marquise Brown again. He's had such a high team share of air yards and end zone targets all season long. I mean, this is going to be a good spot for him. The Dallas Cowboys secondary is absolutely atrocious. They can't stop anybody. So I wouldn't mind going back back to Marquise Brown and whoever the Baltimore running back is. You know, if we see J.K. Dobbins, you know, reclaim his RB1 status, he's come back from the grave. We, We thought his RB1 season had died, but now it came back because it looks like he's going to be able to play. So if he shows out against the the Pittsburgh Steelers, or at least he just gets the usage that we want. Again, doesn't even necessarily put up great production because of the Ravens just being so, you know, they don't have the guys. They just don't have a lot of players to use, especially with RG3 under center. I don't know what to expect from this offense. At least Dobbins gets the usage as the RB1, and I would feel great about him in this matchup against Dallas. Obviously, we saw Antonio Gibson just go absolutely freaking ham against this defense on Thanksgiving. So I like J.K. Dobbins here a lot as well. Yeah, about six six weeks ago, I overpaid uh, for a candle, $40. And because of this, I've been trying to only light it on special occasions. You know, Auden Tate was PFS number one wide receiver on a week. Uh, I think Duke Johnson had a solid game another time. If Des Bryant can score a touchdown against the Ravens, <laughs> against the Cowboys, oh my gosh. <laughs> Dope the X wearing the Ravens. I can't even talk. I'm so excited just thinking about it. But that is the definition of a special occasion. I cannot wait for that. That's going to do it, everybody. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And thank you, Andrew, for the time. You can all follow Andrew on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore. Andrew, what you got coming out this week on PFF.com? Yeah, trying to focus a little bit more on DFS content because basically, you know, a lot of people are falling out of their seasonal leagues and we're not we're not hitting those SEO numbers, Ian. We're not these these seasonal leagues are not in the SEO numbers. We've got to get the, the DFS grinders in on PFF.com. We got a great a lot of great stuff, expected fantasy points, a lot of great articles, a lot of great write-ups from tons of great writers. Ian is obviously included in that list. So make sure you check it out, PFF.com. Check it out, everybody. He's Andrew Erickson. I'm Ian Hart. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. As always, bringing you brand new episodes every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, trying to get you in the fantasy playoffs if you haven't been there already, and we're trying to take home that championship as well. So until next time, take care, everybody. <laughs>